Good morning, class. <laughs> Hi, I'm Keith Moore, and this is Faith School. And we welcome you to come right in and join us today. We've even saved you a seat right on the front. And Faith School, why have it? What's it about? It's the place where our spirit is fed, our faith grows stronger, and we learn how to be overcomers, which is something that you learn. Uh, the Lord, we're recreated and born in His image and likeness. Well, God's not a failure. He's not a defeated one. We are, His plan and destiny for us is to be victorious. But you're not just born or born again knowing all these things and, and developed to the fullest extent. You do learn how to uh, deal with things in faith. You learn how to use your words and release faith. You learn how to Use the authority that's in the name of Jesus. There, there's much to learn. The scripture talks about growing in grace. Jesus himself, it's interesting to note that the Bible said as a child and as a young man, he grew. He developed. Well, how's that possible? Because even though he was God, he emptied himself, the scripture said, of his mighty weight and glory and became like other men and did it like we have to do it. And so... Um, you know, uh, I've, I've gone to school to learn different things. I, I, I learned how to type. I learned how to uh, weld. I learned how to drive a car. I've learned how to fly an airplane. I, I've gone to school for all these things. Now, I acknowledge that I don't know how to do it, even though I might have seen other people do it. doesn't mean I just automatically know. I needed to learn. Well, you need to learn about faith, too. You need to learn. Who, who taught us about faith? When did we learn? The Holy Spirit's our teacher, but He uses men and women. He uses the Word of God. He uses vehicles like this to help us grow up. So let's release faith today and uh, grow up some more. You can be more developed by the end of the class today than you are right now. Is that exciting or not? Well, Father, we all agree is touching this coming together with our faith, asking you for utterance and anointing and direction and help. You know the very thing that'll stir us and spark us and quicken us and bring us up to the next place that you have for us. We ask for that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you, Lord. Go with me in the great textbook, the Bible, to Hebrews 10 again. And let's continue in our study of this great uh, 11th chapter of Hebrews, the chapter of faith about by faith. Hebrews 10 and 38 says, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Now we don't want the Lord to look at us and shake his head and go, I don't like that. That's, that, that doesn't please me at all. We don't want that. Well, what must we do? What pleases him? Just a few verses later, 11.6 says, Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Because he, For he that comes to God must, not should, it's not optional, must believe that he is. That is, you must believe God exists. You must believe that he is God. That means he's all-knowing, all-powerful. But you must go beyond just believing that God exists and is real and powerful. You must also believe what? That he is a rewarder of those that reach out to him 
and endeavor to find him, you must believe that there's no way that you seeking God is going to be in vain. No way. If I reach out to him, if I draw close to him, what did the Bible say is absolutely going to happen? He's going to respond to my drawing near to him. He's going to draw close to me. If I'm hungry for him and I seek for him, he said those that hunger and thirst for his right things, they will be filled. Somebody say, we'll be filled. We will, we will be filled. He said, ask, what will happen? It'll be given to you. Seek, what will happen? You'll find. Knock, what will happen? It'll be open to you. Can we trust what the Lord said? But see, if you don't make any effort to find him, what did that prove? You don't believe. He that comes to God must believe he is, must believe he'll respond and bless you. If you make no effort to find him, then sadly there's many on the planet making no effort to find him or please him. That means they are faithless. They have no faith. And that displeases God. He said, if any man draw back, doesn't even try to find me, doesn't even reach out and try to do my will, he said, I'll have no pleasure in that. But we, verse 39, this is, this is our confession too, isn't it? Come on, read it out loud with me. We are not, <laughs> we, we are not of them who draw back unto perdition, but we are of them that believe to the saving of the soul. I'm a believer. Not, a, not a, ashamed of it either. How about you? I'm, oh, you're one of them? Ringleader of one of them. Yeah. <laughs> one of them. God pleasers. Amen. How about that? Amen. One of them believers, well, that believing is what pleases him. Skip down to the fourth verse. Hebrews 11, verse uh, 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now, uh, we've been, uh, actually, I've been teaching a series on this. Uh, in the churches, in our churches in recent times, how the, the, our righteousness before God is not based on what we do. It's based on what Jesus has done. But our reward in this life and after this life is based on what we do. And even though you, you might be saved and accepted in Christ on your way to heaven. That doesn't mean God's automatically pleased with everything you're saying and doing in life. Come on, can you see that? Just because he's not pleased with how you're handling a situation doesn't mean you're lost. Doesn't mean you're not saved. Doesn't mean you're not accepted in, in God and in Christ. But if we're going to please God day in, day out, it'll be because of this choice and effort to walk and live by faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice. Now, keep reading. He said, more than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. Who said he was, he was right? And who said it was an excellent sacrifice? <laughs> God testifying of his gifts. And by it, by Abel's faith and by his faith gift, though he's dead, 
it's still speaking. It's still talking. We're talking about it right now, all these many centuries later. God said, when Abel brought his gift on that day, so many centuries ago, Abel brought his offering, his gift, and God said, that's excellent. <laughs> that is an excellent sacrifice, Abel. Now, you know, it's one thing for your friend to say, good job. <laughs> good job. But when the Almighty, the creator of the heavens and the earth, looks at you and goes, that's top notch, Keith. That's, that's excellent. Well, I think your day is made. I mean, I think your year is made. Anybody with me? You know, this really is God. He's a father. He's a loving father. He's a good father. And you know, we all know uh, a good parent, if their child really does well and they never acknowledge it, that'd be discouraging. And they never get any praise or recommendation from their parents, even though they're doing top job. That wouldn't be right, would it? Well, how about our father? It wouldn't be right for him either. And he's right. I know some years ago I had the opportunity to go out of the country on a mission trip. And uh, we were actually in Central America doing some things and built a small church. And we had some uh, um, tent meetings and we had some good healings. Uh, it was kind of interesting because we'd start about dusk. There was not much lighting out there and uh, there's hardly anybody there. And before, right after dark, you heard all this rustling and moving, and, uh, and then sometimes when the light would shine, you see, this place is packed. You know, where'd all these people come from? <laughs> they just slipped in afterwards, but there were healings, outstanding things, and good things happened. Well, I'm on the commercial airliner after, I don't know, what was it, a couple, couple of weeks or whatever I was there, two or three, and I'm flying home. I'm looking out the window. I was a little tired, but it really felt good about some of the things that had happened. And I just said, you know, just me sitting there in the seat by myself, looking out the window, uh, under my, uh, you know, soft voice. I didn't want to disturb any, anybody beside me. I said, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord, for letting me, uh, letting me do this. Let me be a part of this. And just like that, he said, thank you, Keith, for going. Good job. I thought, no, no, I'm just, I'm making that up. <laughs> but I wasn't making it up. This is really who he is. Now, if you don't do well, he's not going to tell you you did well. Hmm? And, and there, there are things you can do. He's just flat not pleased with. <laughs> Doesn't mean he hates you. Doesn't mean he, he's kicking you out of heaven. <laughs> you know? Doesn't mean you're out of the family. It just means, well, we should understand this, right? We have in our midst parents and kids and grandkids just because you can be very displeased with what your child did, doesn't mean you're saying, you ain't my child no more, right? Doesn't mean you're writing them off forever. You're just not happy. And if you're a good parent and you really care, one of the big reasons you're not happy about it is because what it's going to do to them. You know, in, in having more experience than them, if they don't get this fixed, it's going to cost them. It's going to hurt them. And that's with our father. Why would he be displeased? Well, 
drawing back and not living by faith. Well, if we don't live by faith, he's not going to get to do all the things he wants to do in our life. And that makes an unhappy parent, right? When the parent is rich beyond imagination and can't do for their child what they want to do for their child, that makes the father himself undisplaced. And so, uh, uh, Riding back on that plane, it, it stood out to me so clearly. It was, it was very quiet. and I was quiet. You know how sometimes at the end of a long day and a long time, you finally just kind of, your mind just runs out of stuff. And you're just kind of blank for a moment, which is rare. And, and I, I just, out of my heart, without thinking, I said, thank you, Lord. Thank you for letting me go. And I mean, before I could even get through speaking, he said, thank you, Keith. Thank you for going. Good job. Mm. Boy, when the Lord's pleased with you, the sky is bluer. <laughs> is that right? The grass is green. I mean, it's not just words. It goes through your being. I mean, it, it feeds every cell. It's amazing. And what, what is it that pleased him? It wasn't just that we made the trip. It wasn't just that we had the services. We must have done something by faith. Come on, can you see that? We must have done. Well, why would you go to begin with? If you didn't believe something was going to happen, right? Why would you go through the effort and through the work unless you, you're expecting? And faith is the confidence of things expected. And we hadn't seen any of it yet, but faith is the conviction of what you hadn't seen yet. So we're just believing good things are going to happen. We're going to get this little church built. We're going to see some people healed. We're going to see some folks come in. And they did. Hallelujah. And God said, I'm happy with that. I'm happy. I'm pleased with that. Makes you, what does it make you want to do? Come on. Makes you want to go do it again. Is that right? Let's do it bigger this time. Right? <laughs> well, that's how it's supposed to be. And what happened with Abel is a prime example that God is still holding up today. Go back to Genesis, also the fourth chapter. Genesis chapter four. We want to learn as much as we can about this. Do we care how long it takes us to get through chapter 11? <laughs> I don't, so I hope you don't, you, you don't care. Well, you know, th is this precious or is this precious? The, the spirit of faith is visibly, graphically demonstrated, not just in theory, but specifics of what people heard, believed, said, and did that God himself said, now this is faith. This is real faith. This pleases me and had it recorded for posterity. And you and I, what are we supposed to do with it? We're supposed to uh, meditate on this. We're supposed to immerse ourselves in this until we think just like this. We talk just like this and we live just like this. In Genesis 4 verse one, uh, Adam knew his wife Eve. She conceived. They had Cain. Verse 2, she again bare his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep. He was a, a rancher, a, a shepherd. And Cain was a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. Well, you need both, right? You need both. And in the process of time, 
It came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering to the Lord. No description, just said it was an offering. And verse 4, Abel, he brought an offering too, but man, we got, you know, twice as much detail <laughs> about what Abel did, uh, or three times as uh, Cain. Why? Because God is testifying of it. Abel brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof, and the Lord had respect to Abel and his offering. But to Cain and his offering, he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth. His countenance fell. Wrong response. It's time to repent. Are y'all with me, friends? You know, 1 John in the New Testament talks about these offerings too. 1 John 3 and 12. They'll put it on the screen for us. 1 John 3 and 12. It said, not as Cain, who was of that wicked one, and slew his brother. And wherefore slew he him? In other words, why did he kill him? Because his own works were evil and his brother's righteous. If you know anything about God, you know he is completely fair. Complete. I'm perfectly fair. Perfectly. If he didn't accept Cain's offering, there was ample reason why. Can anybody believe that? It was not based on some technicality. It wasn't some unintentional oversight by Cain. God's looking at the heart, isn't he? And the scripture calls uh, Cain's works evil. And this was prior to this happening. This is prior to him killing his brother. So Cain knew better is the key here. He knew better than what he did. It was service time. He knew there was going to be an offering. He didn't want to do nothing, but he didn't care much about it. And he just grabbed something that he had. Maybe it wasn't even, in all likelihood, it wasn't his good stuff. He grabbed it and brought it and said, here you go. There's your offering. And the Lord said, I'm not accepting that. I'm not pleased with that. Why? No faith involved. No heart involved. Does God just want us going through the motions of things? No. Anybody remember in the book of Revelation, he said, uh, I would, you were cold or hot. Remember that? But because you're lukewarm. What does lukewarm mean? You know. <laughs> Uh, there's, a, there's a phrase coined today, that whatever, right? Whatever. That depicts lukewarm. You don't want to be saying whatever. No big deal. No, the Lord's things are a big deal. We should make a big deal out of going to church. You know, some people get, you know, I still dress up. This is faith school, so I don't have a suit and tie. This is the classroom, you understand. <laughs> but you know, like usually on Sunday, I'll have a tie on and, and, and people say, oh, Brother Keith, don't you know in this day and time, that's just old. That's just, that's just old school. Well, it's not about a coat or a suit and a tie. That's a Western thing. If you're in another part of the world, they don't even wear that kind of thing. I'll tell you what is important. 
that you do your best. Y'all with me, friends? That you make an effort. And, and it's not a matter that you have to own a bunch of clothes or spend a bunch of, a bunch of money. Maybe you only got two T-shirts and one pair of jeans. It's simple. Wash them jeans. Come on, are y'all with me? Maybe put a crease in them. I know it's a novel idea, but get, get the wrinkles out of them jeans and wear the good T-shirt. Y'all with me or not? Wear the good T-shirt to church. You shouldn't dress to do the things of the Lord the same as you're dressing to go cut the grass in your backyard. Hmm? And it's, it's got no, it really has nothing to do with the clothes. It's about the heart. Why wouldn't you at least make an effort? And you know, sometimes people are talking about, well, you know, we don't want to buy that, that expensive carpet for the church. We could save a lot of money. But we don't want to buy that nice piano. We could, you know, we could save thousands. Uh, a minister friend of mine one time, and it was actually was uh, Brother Kenneth Copeland, he said somebody kept saying, you know, uh, we saved the Lord all this money on this, and we saved the Lord. He said, the Lord said, when am I going to get all that money <laughs> that they're saving for me? Do you know the answer to that? Never. The Lord's never seeing all this money that they supposedly saved for him. Do you remember in, when, when the Lord gave them instructions about how to build the tabernacle? And then how to build the temple. You talk about spending some money, brother. I mean, they spared no expense. I mean, they had half the stuff in there was overlaid with pure gold. They had precious jewels. They had the finest fabrics and the finest leathers and the best wood you could get. Why? People say, well, God don't care about all that. He used to. <laughs> he used to care about it. God don't care about how preachers, he used to, there's whole chapters in the Old Testament describing the priest robes and what they were to be made out of, how they were to look. And I mean, it was no cheap stuff. It was top of the line stuff. Now you can go overboard, you know, people comparing, trying to outdo each other and how much money they're spending on their clothes. That's dumb. We're not talking about that, but we're talking about, you don't have to have a bunch of clothes. But just do your best. Wear your best. Make the effort. And believe God to do even better. Right? Next week and, and next month. Well, you see, that's what uh, Abel did. When it came offering time, we have description. Abel gave of his firstlings and of the fat thereof. And it's kind of a running joke around here at the church. We actually know what sheep that was. That, that, <laughs> that Abel gave. Y'all probably know. What, what sheep was it? It was fluffy. It was fluffy. <laughs> it was flu fluffy the three-time blue ribbon winner. Fluffy, who was on sheep, the cover of Sheep Monthly. <laughs> fluffy was the sheep that other sheep aspired to be, had the perfect proportions and the perfect wool and the perfect everything. It was Abel's premier uh, livestock. And when it came time for Abel to bring his offering, he looked across his flock. I don't believe he did it last minute. I don't, it's obvious he did. You don't do this kind of thing last minute. He didn't do it as an afterthought. He thought, what can I give God? Well, I got, I got to really do what I can do. And he looked over the flock and he's calling them all. 
And he looked up and Fluffy raised her head. He said, oh, Fluffy, Fluffy. Fluffy's the best I got. So this is what I'm giving to the Lord. Of the first, it was the first of that kind of sheep he had had, that quality of sheep. And it was the fat. It was the best. Somebody say the first. The first. And the best. And the best. Come on, say it again. The first. The first. And the best. And the best. Was that just something that happened in one isolated instance long ago? Or is this something that's still true today that it shows the heart? If you're willing to put God first and give Him your first and your best, it honors Him. And those that honor Him, what did the Bible say would happen? Those that honor Him, He said, I will honor. Proverbs 3 uh, the scripture talks about uh, 9 and 10, I believe it is. It said, uh, honor the Lord with your first fruits. Everybody say first fruits. First fruits. Honor the Lord with your, your substance. Excuse me, I'm saying it wrong. Your substance and with the first fruits of all your increase. Is that still true today? Is that something that, well, what's Jesus talking about in, in the New Testament when he says, seek first the kingdom of God? I mean, this principle has changed. It, it, it existed before the law, during the law, and after the law. It, it's a matter of heart, not keeping rules. But he said, uh, honor the Lord. And this is not just with your words, but with your actions, with your stuff, your substance, and with the first fruits of all your increase. And is there, are there any benefits to doing this? Well, you honor him, what happens? He honors you. The next, very next verse says, So your barns will be filled with plenty. Barns, plural. I mean, one full barn would be doing pretty good. But we got ten barns. And they're all full. And our presses are overflowing. Somebody say overflowing. overflowing. With new wine. He said, that, that's when your, your vineyards come in. And, and that means that the... Uh, Pests didn't destroy your grapes. That means you didn't have drought and your vines die and dry up. That means the Lord caused the sun to shine on them just right. He gave the rain in its season and the nutrients out of the ground fed it. And you got some of the biggest, prettiest grapes anybody ever saw. And when it comes time to harvest, you've got full and overflowing. Somebody say full and overflowing. And this is the response to you honoring him. Come on, can you see that? This didn't begin with full and overflowing. It began with honor the Lord with your substance and the first fruits of all your increase. So then your barns will be filled with plenty and your presses will burst out with new wine. Can we do that today? Yes. You don't have to have a lot. But you've got to have a heart. <laughs> you've got to have a desire to do the best you can with what you've got, where you are right now. Are you going to do it? Yes. Come on, somebody sit out loud. I live by faith. I, live by faith. I walk by faith. I overcome this world by faith. I'm strong in faith. Giving glory to God. Well, that's it for today. We'll see you next time in Faith School.